you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to come up after um, kids perform and everything like that, because I know that no matter what I do, it's not nearly going to be as cute or as memorable as what they just did. So uh, we want to welcome all of you who are with us, whether you're live in person, maybe you're here because uh, your, your kids were just up here, or grandkids, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, maybe this is your church home, and, and we're so glad to be able to spend some time together today. If we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I would love an opportunity to meet you after our service this morning. And so whether this is your first time or you've been here for years, we are in this series where we are talking about Advent and leading up. And we've been talking through the ideas of faith and hope, or sorry, hope and peace and joy and love through our Advent uh, candle and wreath. Uh, the candle lighting and wreath, wreath lighting would be dangerous, candle lighting and wreaths um, over the past four weeks. And so what we're talking about throughout this time is looking at this tension that we experience in Christmas, the tension that happens when we know that it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and yet we also know there's a lot of weight and heaviness to it. We know that we want to make sure that everything looks ideal and perfect, and yet inside in reality is we know that we are struggling, we are hurting. We know that it's supposed to be a blessed time, and yet we often feel so stressed, it's so hard to actually enjoy and slow down and just live in the blessing and the peace of what Christ has to offer us. And we recognize that there are so many times that we have traditions that we love and we honor and we look forward to, and yet without, with the passing of time, we recognize that those traditions, while they remind us of something great, they also highlight the transitions that we experience people moving away, kids growing up and going out of the house, the losses of loved ones. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to have our final sermon in this series looking at this idea of how this season is both wonderful. Yes, it is the most wonderful time of the year as Andy Williams loves to sing to us every single year. But it's also can be one of the most painful times of our year. Now, uh, we have two daughters. Uh, we have an 11-year-old uh, and a 7-year-old, and we um, have Disney Plus, and so we'll watch um, Disney movies, Pixar movies. And I'm kind of notorious that any any movie that has anything to do with any kid and any parent, like I end up just getting teary by the end. Um, and the girls kind of laugh at me, but they're like, "But it's also kind of cute." And I'm like, "I'm going to take that." So, um, with we watched recently uh, a movie from Pixar that always gets me emotionally, called Inside Out. Have you guys seen Inside Out? If you've seen Inside Out, it's this idea there's different emotions, and there's a girl who's 11, her name's Riley, and now that Shaylin is 11, I'm like, oh, the world's confining. And so um, just feeling that tension of all the different emotions that we feel. And there's a couple of pictures I want to show because she's really close to her family, and they moved from Minnesota to San Francisco. And in the early part of the movie, you see this really happy family hug that we see here. It's the early embrace. It's the fact that they're trying to make the best of a, out of a bad situation because their luggage, or not their luggage, but everything that got packed, the pod went to the wrong place. They try to get pizza, and they're upset that San Francisco only has pizza with broccoli, which makes sense, I guess. And so they're like, what's happening? And they're experiencing these transitions. And it starts off with them still being, you know, a happy family, but learning to navigate the difficulty throughout it. 
And as the movie progresses, I won't give away everything, it's well worth your time, but as the movie progresses, we see that Riley starts to um, have stronger emotions. And joy is the emotion she feels the most often early in the movie and early in her life. And yet through this move, through the transitions, through losing her friends, leaving behind her hockey team, behind moving and going across the country, she starts to be overwhelmed with sadness. And one of the moments in this movie that is so powerful is this idea of when we acknowledge that sadness, anger, fear, these heavy emotions that we have are not emotions that we need to bury and to hide, but God is big enough to handle all of our sadness, all of our anger, all of our fear, all of our pain, all of this difficulty that we have in this season. If you question whether or not he's available to do that, just open up the book of Psalms and you see people crying out to God and acknowledging that God I'm angry at you, or God, I'm heartbroken right now, or God, where are you? And yet God doesn't shy away. In fact, he doesn't hide those psalms. In fact, he puts them right in the center of our Bible because they're so often in the center of our lives to acknowledge this heaviness. So we lean into this time. And by the end of the movie, there's another hug. There's another embrace that's kind of the climax of the movie. And, and in this one, it's, it's no longer... Lighthearted. It's no longer this joyous, we're just happy and fun loving. There's been a lot of heartache that's happened. There's been loss, brokenness, frustration, pain. And yet the embrace at the other side of pain is often more wonderful than the embrace on the first side. That when it comes to our relationships with one another and our relationships with God, we want things to be joyful all the time. We want to have this perfect life. We want to have these perfect seasons. We want to have the perfect Christmas, to buy the perfect gift and to have the perfect response, to have the perfect meal with the perfect family gathering, with the perfect relationships, and have everything be perfect. And yet, none of that is often reality. So how do we navigate a time where we're told we should be happy, we should be wonderful, this should be the most wonderful time of the year, and yet we feel heartache, we feel loss, we feel pain. And what does God's story, what does God's love for us reveal both about the power and the wonder of his love, but how the pain that Jesus had to experience makes the love not less wonderful for you and me, but more so. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online or watching or listening later throughout the week. God, I pray that each person who hears my voice, Lord, would, would have a moment with you where they say, this is what you have for me, God. May we have open eyes and ears and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. Father, I pray that as we dive into it, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. John Piper concludes this idea about this pain when he says, many of you will feel your loss this Christmas more pointedly than before. I'm not going to show, have, ask for a raise of hands, but I know that there are people in this room and people watching online who've experienced great loss this year. Loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a marriage or a friendship, loss of a child who wants to go off and live their own way and experiencing it's leaning into that but this is what I love. Again, what we learn about the Psalms, John Piper says, don't block it out. Let it come 
feel it. What is love for if not to intensify our affections in both life and death? What does it look like for us to lean into this to be the most wonderful and the most painful time of the year? So we're going to be starting in Numbers 21. If you're joining with us and you brought your own Bible, we'll be in Numbers 21 and we'll also be in John chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you. We invite you to join us. If you're watching online, you can click the Bible tab at the top of your screen. Again, Numbers 21 and John 3. Now, this our points for today are, are going to kind of show us a little bit about the dynamic that we experience when it comes to the gospel itself. Because, friends, we were created for a right relationship with God. And if I were to sum up the gospel really briefly in the beginning, it's the first step is that God loves us. That God loves you. God created you and shaped you and formed you and molded you and breathed life into you. God loves us, and yet because of our sin, we blew it. We're not able to have the right relationship with God on our own that we were always designed to have. And so Jesus came and he paid for it. He paid the price, and we'll unpack that a little bit more throughout our passage today. But that's not the end of the gospel story. It's not just that Jesus paid for it. The fourth important step is that we must receive that gift. We must receive that payment. And so the point that we're going to start off with is looking at Numbers 21, because Numbers 21 is going to give us the context for Jesus' teaching, and in fact, for the most famous verse in all of the scripture, John 3, 16, is, comes from the context of Numbers 21. So we want to unpack the context and then learn what God has for us through our content this morning. And so the first idea here is that we have a harmful rebellion. There's a harmful rebellion that took place. And we see this starting off when there was sin in the Garden of Eden, and then it echoes throughout and reverberates throughout our lives, throughout the generations, that God loves us. He shows himself to us. He reveals himself to us. He moves in powerful ways to us. And Numbers 21 starts, or it takes place while they're in the wilderness. And just during this time in the wilderness, God had already freed the people from Israelite, from, excuse me, from the Egypt, uh, Egyptians with the 10 plagues. He'd already had the parting of the Red Sea that they can miraculously exit that would cover over the Egyptians. They already were able to have manna coming from heaven. They already had a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire guiding them and leading them. They already experienced Mount Sinai where they heard the voice of God and they saw the Ten Commandments there. They already had, when they were out of water, rocks, or excuse me, the rock would be slammed and there would be water that was gushing out from it. They already had, they had already seen God work. And we talked about last week how so often when we want to see signs from God, the risk that we run is that we are addicted to the signs and we're not drawn to the Lord. We want him to keep showing up. And so this is an example. Numbers 21, the beginning part is God rescued them from a, um, an, <coughs> excuse me, an army. And then the very next verse in verse 4 says this. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Real quick, in Numbers chapter 20, there was water that came from the rock. There was bread that was manna that was there. But isn't it amazing how God can provide miraculously for us? And if we're not in the right frame of mind, we will detest his blessing. Because it's not enough, and it's not what we want, even though it's what we need. We continue on. 
So we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone has bitten, or said, then when he, anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So this is a very typical Christmas passage, right? It's just, you know, it's this idea, oh yeah, there's snakes that are biting people, and the Israelites are dying, and there's a, there's a snake that needs to be hung up so that everyone can live. Like, it's very normal Christmas uh, dynamic here. But here's the point of it. We would focus so much. It's easy for us to focus on why, why did God give the, send the snakes to be able to kill the people, some of those who were rebelling. And we give the, put, we point the blame on the Lord rather than pointing the blame to the person in the mirror. It was the people who rebelled. And there were harm, there was harm that took place because of the rebellion of the people. They were the ones that rejected God. They were the ones that were detesting what he had to give. They were the ones that pushed back. They were the ones that were saying, we want more. We want something else. We don't like the God that you are. We want to make you in our image and only do what we want you to do rather than recognize we are created in the image of God. And so with this dynamic, they rebel against him. And friends, I know this is a hard thing, but a holy and just God cannot allow rebellion to take place and still keep his justice. And so when the people confess their sin, they say, Moses, we have sinned against the Lord. Will you pray for us? They acknowledge they need an intercessor. They need a savior. They need someone to deliver them from the ramifications of their rebellion. And so God says, put up a snake and put it on a pole. Friends, this is where we see, if you look at um, ambulances or you look at these different ideas, when you'll see a medical symbol is what? It's a pole that has a snake wrapped around it. And it's this idea that from the very beginning we recognize we find healing. Is the healing in the snake in of itself? No. But it, the idea was that anyone who would look to that snake, who was bitten by the venom of these snakes and would look to the snake, that, the bronze serpent, would be healed. Now, I want to point this out from the commentary. I highlighted the word look here. And if you go to the next quotation here, it says this. The verb translated look often carries with it the idea to see with belief or understanding. And it is to be so interpreted in this context. In other words, the idea is like just look upon the serpent. But if it's just a cursory glance rather than a look with belief, the healing wouldn't take place. The looking and the believing were intertwined. So when they would look and they would turn their eyes and fix their eyes on that serpent, those who were bitten would be healed. And so they would be able to find a rescue from this harmful rebellion that they had. And so why are we talking about Numbers 21? Why are we looking at this? Because part of our both and series has been this. We're looking at how both the Old Testament and the New Testament point us to Jesus' coming, point us to the importance of Christmas. The fact that God, Jesus, who's fully God, comes and becomes fully human, lives a perfect life, dies a horrible death, but is raised to new life, and in so doing offers us all the opportunity 
to eternal life. It's the acknowledgement that as we're going to follow in this pattern that we've looked at the past several weeks, there are four different times in the New Testament where either Jesus or Paul says, as something happened in the Old Testament, so Jesus came to fulfill it in the New. So let's go to our next point here. <clears throat> and Charles Spur Spurgeon says it this way. He says, the love of God is a wonderful thing. Remember, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Love of God is wonderful, especially when we see it set on a lost, ruined, guilty world. What was there in the world that God should love it? There was nothing lovable in it. In other words, the brokenness and the sin and the rebellion. None of us can earn God's love. No matter how many times you come to church, no matter how many small groups, no matter how many hours you've served, in the church or outside of the church, no matter whether you come to church just on Christmas and just on Easter or every week, we can't earn it. Friends, it's a gift. When we give gifts to our kids or they, they don't earn the Christmas gifts, they receive it. We don't earn the salvation gifts. We receive it. So that's the harmful rebellion, the fact that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have brokenness. All of us will tend to rebel as opposed to tend to repent. It's in our sin nature. It's part of us. And yet we know that there's a painful reality that we need to look at here. We're going to skip forward now to John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, there's a beautiful passage that I wish I had enough time to properly unpack. When Nicodemus, who is a leader of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the leaders of the ruling council there. And he comes to Jesus at night and wants to ask questions. He says things like, we know that you're from God because the signs that you are doing, no one who is not from God would be able to do this. And so he asks, he, he wants to learn more. Jesus talks to him about the importance of being born again. And there's this whole question of what does that mean? And it's, it's a beautiful passage that for the sake of this sermon, we won't be able to unpack as much as I would like. But what I want to do is point us to the pattern that we saw that I referred to, that in John chapter 3, 14, we see this as-so pattern that we mentioned. Just as something in the Old Testament happened, so Jesus fulfills it in the new. And so we see here John 3, 3 chapter 14, or verse 14 and 15 say, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, this idea of being lifted up has kind of two different connotations. One connotation means to be exalted. That is someone who is up, put up high on a pedestal. And so we see that here in some of the other verses. See, this is from Isaiah 52 in the Old Testament. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. But this idea of being lifted up happens several times in the book of John, and we start to see that it's not just about the highly exalted part. He's drawing a parallel between the bronze serpent and Jesus Christ. We see this in John chapter 8. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus often referred to himself when he was here on earth, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The next one, John chapter 12, says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John Martin C. Scott, in one of his commentaries uh, about this passage, talks about the comparison between what happened with the, the bronze serpent in the Old Testament 
and how Jesus fulfills it in the new. While the serpent grants a temporary extension of life when placed in a position to be seen by those bitten by the desert snakes, the lifting up, which is not just about the being highly exalted, but being lifted up on the cross and being crucified is the meaning that we're seeing here. The lifting up or the crucifixion of the Son of Man offers an unending source of life to all who look upon him. Remember, the looking upon when we look at in the, in the Old Testament is this idea of looking with a sense of belief. It's not a cursory glance. It's looking and believing that the serpent would heal, or in this case, it's looking and believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And that far worse than the venom that comes from being bitten by a poisonous snake, far worse is the venom that comes from our sin nature if, not, if left untreated. Far worse because one brings a physical death and the other brings a separation, a spiritual death, a separation from God for all eternity. So there's a picture here, there's an image I want to point, that John 3.14 talks about this, that as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, the serpent that to whom people would look and believe and be saved, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. So that people would look and believe and be saved. Now, why are we calling this the painful reality? I mean, it's, it was obviously, we know it's painful for Jesus. I mean, when we say something is excruciating, the, the, the Latin where that comes from is crucio, cross. It's this idea that it's a pain that is so bad, it comes out of the cross. It's showing us the importance, the, 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 heart, the pain, the heartache. But the pain that was experienced because of Jesus' birth, life, death, was not just from God the Son, Jesus. That when we think about this idea of how can God allow me to experience this pain? How can God allow me to feel this loneliness, this isolation, this emptiness, this fact that this silence where we cry out to him and he doesn't respond? How can he allow me to have this broken relationship? How could come he didn't heal the one that I love? How come he allows me to experience pain. And friends, I don't know what pain is in this room right now. I don't pretend to gloss over everything with a the, with the wide brush to say, oh, well, you shouldn't have pain, just be happy. It's very real. As we heard from John Piper earlier, we don't hide from our sadness or our pain or our anger or our fear. We lean into it. But we don't lean into it just to wallow in it. We lean into God with it, and we run to him, not from him. Like we said in our season series a few months ago, the only loss we experience when we experience these heavy emotions is when we run from God because of it, rather than running to God with it. God can handle whatever pain you are feeling this morning. Whatever pain, whether it's an acute pain that's hurting now or whether it's a pain that's just been a dull ache for decades. God can meet you here. God understands your pain because God, God the Son, Jesus, fully understood all our pain. And yet, is it possible? Is it possible that God the Father knew that Christmas would be the most wonderful time of the year, that, that the birth of his only begotten son would bring life and hope and purpose and eternal life for everyone that would look to him and believe and be saved. And yet as a father, is it possible that the moment he knew that Jesus' first cry on earth, he knew that 
the son whom he loved, that his life would end and experience great pain, excruciating pain and death. I was reading an article online, and Faith Ng, who writes for uh, Crusade, for Crew, wrote this. He said, God the Father's plan to save his rebellious, remember our rebellion, that his rebellious people required his son to die a terrible, unjust death. And any loving parent will tell you that sacrificing your own life is not the worst type of suffering. Go to the next one, please. Parents would much rather sacrifice themselves if it spared their children. In this sense, God not only sacrificed himself in the person of Jesus, but he accepted the deeper pain of sacrificing his beloved child. The last part of the quote says this, God's profound sacrifice shows how deeply he loves you and how much he cares about you. We don't have a God who is, you know, some distant God sitting in a cloud somewhere who doesn't care what happens with the people of this earth. We have a God who knew the wonder of his son being born and knew the pain that that would cause him. We have a God who, through Jesus, knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to be tempted, and yet he was without sin. He knew what it was like to live a perfect life in an imperfect world, which is something none of us can claim. None of us have been perfect. We've all fallen short. We all have a harmful, rebellious spirit inside of us to some degree or another. And the painful reality was that the only way, the only way that our sin-soaked lives could be reunited with a holy God was that God had to send his only begotten son to experience the weight of the sin, all sins, past, present, future, of all the things you or I or anyone have ever done, so that whoever would believe in him, who would look upon the cross and believe in him would be saved. It could not be done any other way, because I'm sure, as a parent, if there was any other way to bring the rest of his children into right relationship with him that did not involve him sacrificing his only begotten son, God would have found a way. But friends, rebellion has to be dealt with. A fully just God cannot allow rebellion to take place, and yet a fully loving God is the one who takes our place. A fully loving God is Jesus coming in and saying, I'll take the blame. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the painful reality is, whatever pain you're experiencing, God has pain too. Remember all the things that God's people rebelled against him? They've seen his provision. They'd seen and they say, I had to test it. If you have a loved one and you've tried your best to love someone and they don't respond, well, you know the pain of that rejection. You know the pain of that distant relationship. You know the pain of that heartache. And you know the pain of longing to be reunited. So there's a painful reality that the only way that we can have a right relationship with God is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that leads us to our last couple of verses in John chapter 3. We've looked at the harmful rebellion. We've looked at the painful reality. But let's lastly look at the wonderful reward. Remember, reward is, this is something where it's a gift to us. Not something we've earned. The wonderful reward. Here's what John chapter three sixteen says. <clears throat> the verse that many of us know very well. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's important to hear. He didn't come just to be able to say, look, you all are never going to be good enough, and so I'm sending Jesus here to make you feel bad about yourself so that you can never have hope. Our sin should cause us to feel bad about what we've done. The right things that we haven't done, the sins of omission, and the wrong things that we have done, the sins of commission. We should feel that, but yet there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says this, he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, we look at the story in Numbers 21 and say, how can God allow that, those venomous snakes to bite people? And that would take their lives. And we fail to see that it's the response from our rebellion. We say, how can God allow people to spend eternity without him? And we fail to see that there's a response to our rebellion. And recognize that a fully just God could just leave it at that and say, tough luck. But a fully loving God provides a way, provides one to whom we can look and believe and be saved. I use that quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He's uh, a very well-known preacher um, in the 1800s. And there's a picture of him uh, right here. I just want you to know this is how I look whenever I study. Um, I'm just very proper and I have a cane. just makes me feel very smart. Um, he shares a story about how he came to know the Lord. He shares a story that in 1850, there was an incredible snowstorm where he was living. And he was trying to go to his church on a Sunday morning. And yet, because the snow was so bad, he wasn't able to make it into his church. So he walked into a Methodist church. And he found out that the preacher couldn't even make it to church that morning. And so, um, because of the snow. And so, what ends up happening was that one of the congregation members, he said that there's maybe... 10-ish people in the room. Um, and so it wasn't a big congregation. So it was a smaller group. And, and one of the lay people, one of the people from the church, the man came up and he just read a passage or read a verse. And he didn't have, you know, like three points. He didn't have a PowerPoint. He didn't have pictures. Um, but what he did is he, he read this verse. And I want to share it with you. He said this from Isaiah 45. He says, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. C.H. Spurgeon is sitting in the row, and he talks about how, again, there weren't that many people there. And he said, you know, it was good because the preacher didn't have a lot of notes, so he just kept reading the scripture. He just repeated that verse. He kept trying to apply that verse and say, look to Christ or look to God and be saved. And then what he said is the preacher ended up putting some of this idea of look to me in the words as if Jesus were speaking to us from the cross. And he said it this way, and this is the quotation. Go to the next slide. It says, look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. This is the, in the voice of Jesus. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me, look to me. And in this moment, C.H. Spurgeon is sitting there, and he says that the man who's sitting there with a group of, you know, 10 or so parishioners, points C.H. Spurgeon out. And I'm not going to do this for anyone here, but let's pretend there's someone here. And I'm just like, he's like, he says, son, you look terrible, and you look miserable, and you will always be miserable. 
until you look to Jesus. Jesus, he realized, C.H. Spurgeon realized that what do we often do when we're struggling? Maybe what we do is we look around to others for advice. Maybe what we do is we look down on others or look down on ourselves. Maybe what we do is we look everywhere and to everyone except Jesus. And he says, look to me. C.H. Spurgeon, his autobiography continues, and he says, the preacher just, he was saying, he called him out, and and C.H. Spurgeon recognized that, but then all of a sudden, this preacher just talked about how you you can't look to yourself. You can't look anywhere else. And he also said this, you don't have to be a good person to look and believe. You don't have to be a, you could be a bad person. You could be a good person. You don't have to have any money to your name. You don't even have to lift a finger. You look. And there are people who in Numbers 21 who were snake bitten. And they just look with belief. And they were saved. And they were rescued from their illness. We can look to Jesus Christ on that cross knowing that he took all our sins, past, present, future. He took the weight of all the sins of the whole world. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time and the only time in all of history, he recognized what it was like to have separation from God the Father. The pain of a loss of intimate relationship. And he lands on this idea. C.H. Burgeon recognized, all I can do I don't need to earn it. I don't deserve it. But I can look to Jesus. I can fix my eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Doesn't mean I have to deal with, I don't need to have all the answers to all my pain. When I look upon the one who experienced pain far greater than I can imagine. I don't need to have all the answers for the reason why I'm suffering when I look upon the one who suffered for me. I don't have to get everything all together to earn or deserve eternal life. I just get to believe and then to surrender my life, to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and can be saved. There's a quotation about Christmas that in John chapter 3 that ties us all together that's attributed to Corey Ten Boom and says this, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God loved the world. He so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him and the reward, the wonderful reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. Friends, I don't know where you are in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're just here because you got invited here, and that's awesome. We're so glad you're here, whether here is in person or watching or joining us online. But maybe you're someone who, there's such a weight of pain from your past, your present, and fear of the future that you can't imagine looking up to Jesus and asking for help. And if that's you, I pray that God would allow that you would feel in this moment God removing the weight of pain and the bricks that you carry around in your backpack that no one sees and would remove it brick by brick, step by step. 
So instead of being <clears throat> bowed over to the point where you can't look up, <clears throat> we can bow down and look to Jesus and be saved. Some of you have a right relationship with God, and you have for years, and yet there's this nagging sense of emptiness or brokenness or loss this year. You, you've experienced something incredibly painful. And maybe, again, maybe it's an acute loss that happened now or recently, or maybe it's a dull pain that's been hurting for decades. And if that's you, I just encourage you to come and lay it down to ask Jesus, say, I want to come to you, Jesus, for I am heavily laden. I am burdened. And you say to come to me, all who are weary and heavily laden, and you will give us rest, Jesus. Please give me your rest. Help me to find rest for my soul, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Maybe some of you, part of it is needing to go and Look up and speak with a counselor, someone who can help you unpack some of these things. Someone who can show you what it's like to unpack so that God can fill you up, not with more pain and condemnation, but with hope and purpose, joy, and life, and life to the full. Friends, I don't know where you're at. <clears throat> I don't know where you're looking. But I do know to whom we ask that you look. In this moment, don't look around, look side to side to what others are doing. Don't look down on others or yourself. In the words of Jesus, look at me. Look at me. Believe I am who I say I am. Because friends, we want our lives to be wonderful. We want our lives to be like the happy hug in the beginning of Inside Out where things are great, we're having fun. But the hug on the other side of pain on the other side of love and loss is a more wonderful one because it's more intimate. You've been through the journey together. You find rest in the arms of your heavenly father and you know that God experienced love and loss too. And he's with you in the midst of it. So look to him. Feel what you're feeling and find hope and love in his embrace this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today. Again, whether they're live online, live in person, watching or listening later. Lord, as we heard in the Advent devotional, Lord, that Christmas can be summed up in the word L-O-V-E. God, you so loved us that you sent your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That whatever we're experiencing, the reason we feel pain in this season is because we've loved much and we experienced the loss. And yet it can still be the most wonderful time of the year when we remember that it is through the love and through the loss that you loved us so much that your son lost his life. He gave it up. He laid it down but he took it back up again so we may have everlasting life. Father, I pray for people in this room today that wherever they are in a relationship with you, whether they have one, whether they don't have one, whether they're struggling, God, may you meet them here. May Holy Spirit, may you respond and move in a way that only you can do. And may you, Holy Spirit, reverberate in our hearts the cry to look to Jesus today. 
to experience his love, not as something we can earn or deserve, but as the greatest Christmas gift of all time. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.